0: You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red as Nottingham Forest, mate, in the thick of the most fiercely contested relegation battle ever in the Premier League. After one more wolves, we'll discuss the game, the relegation battle, Steve Cooper's future and the trip to Leeds in the company of first of all broadcaster and Reds fan Darren Fletcher. Fletch, morning, you well? I am. I'm going to start by giving you the stat of the day, which completely
1: blew me away when I saw it. The next Chelsea manager who's appointed will mean they've had more managers since the inception of the Premier League than Liverpool have had since the club was formed in 1892.
0: Excellent. A flying start to the day. Absolutely.
1: Start raving. Mad.
0: Well, it's a, yeah, a mad season for Premier League sackings, and that will probably come up in
2: our discussion as we go along.
0: Second guest today is Michael Temple. Temps, good morning.
2: Mate, I'm uh, I'm off for lunch with Graham Potter, because he just got £21 million quid for being sacked, hasn't he? <laughs> so, there's a stat for you. A five-year contract, he lasted 31 matches, they paid £20 million compensation, and they'll be covering his mortgage on whatever castle he's in until 2027. So, yeah, blown away by the Potter stuff. I doubt he's gone on mortgage.
0: Um, the third guest and final guest is Reds fan Mikey Temple. Uh, Mikey Temple. Mikey Clark. It's
3: been a hell of a morning for me. Mikey Clark, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Blown away by those stats, actually. That's that's just. I was listening to the radio this morning and somebody said, um, "Do we feel sorry for Graham Potter?" No, 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 not not at all. I wish I was uh, made <laughs> made uh, redundant or i from work with that amount of money in my bank. My word, It'd be a different different. I think I'm in the wrong job. But yeah, I'm fine, Matt. In answer to your question, thank you very much.
0: I think we're all in the wrong job not being Premier League managers, although we all think we are, uh, as every football fan uh, is. So, sign on that note, temps, kick us off. What did you make of uh, Saturday's game, just in terms of performance for result, I guess?
2: Yeah, it was a much better performance, wasn't it? And we had the chances to to win the game. Um, I thought we started well and equipped ourselves to, to be far more comfortable without the ball, which we were for, for long periods of time, but still capable of, of springing chances on the break, which we'll dissect later. I think Brennan Johnson did what we expect Brennan Johnson to do now. I think we've stumbled across another centre-half combination that could work for us. And I've changed my stance on, on that midfield debate, which we'll get into as well. But um, all things said, I thought it was a really credible Forrest performance. So I was disappointed that we got a, a single point for it. Yeah,
0: Mikey, we were in the pub afterwards when Temps wasn't being accosted as a celebrity. Uh, and you, you were pretty down in the sense that you were so gutted we didn't win. How are you feeling about it now?
3: Yeah, a little better. You have a chance to reflect, I think, straight after the game. You know, I'll be honest, I think that's the best we've played this season. I was trying to cast my mind back. You know, the amount of chances we created, the dynamism in the midfield. I can't remember Wolves really having another shot on target other than the one they scored. So I I left that ground feeling quite deflated. And obviously when we we met Mm -hmm. after, I was still in that. But once you have a chance to sleep on it and reflect, I concur with what Temps is saying. Um, I thought we might have stumbled upon something like we always seem to do after after a break. So on reflection, once all the emotion goes and you get a chance to look at it, look at it how it is, um, it's all about levels of performance for me. So if we can repeat that level of performance tomorrow and again on Saturday and then again for the next six or seven games, I think we'll be all right. But it's when you play well and you don't get what you think you deserve. That's that's where it's where it's gutting. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm much better now than I was 24, 48 hours ago. Matters for certain.
0: I suppose for me, Fletch, the result probably makes relegation more likely because you didn't win a home game. It seems you should, but the performance made me feel more optimistic that if we play like that, then we can beat Man U at home, which I know sounds fanciful, or beat Brian. How are you feeling about it?
1: Well. I've been a bigger picture man all year, so I'm not reading anything too much into 90 minutes against Wolves. I've seen enough of Wolves this season to know that they can make you look like that because they don't pose too much of a goal threat despite spending money on strikers. So I think you can almost kid yourself into a a feeling that you've had a great performance because you've not seen too much damage at one end, but that's them. Um, I would also put the caveat in that they conceded four on their own pitch against Leeds the match before. So that maybe adds a little bit of perspective. The reality is though, they've got 10 games left and they've got to equal three of Leicester, Everton, Southampton, Leeds or Bournemouth. And if they do that, they'll stay in the Premier League. They're not going to be better than any of those teams. They've just got to equal what they do because of the league position. So the reality is that they're in a relatively good position for a newly promoted side at this stage of the season, even in you know, a relegation battle that's as tightly contested as this one. It's not as if they've got to get four more points than those teams. They've just got to do the same as those teams. And if they do that, they'll stay up. And there's enough in the squad to do that. So, and they're worth positives. But I would would make the point, again, I'm so disappointed that these games, the margins are so fine that they are always decided in the two penalty areas. Always. And we can concentrate on the midfield to a blue in the face. But Wolves had one real opportunity in the second half and they scored. And that's the difference. Horace had numerous chances and they didn't. And I can't get out of my head. I'm having nightmares about Emmanuel Dennis not squaring the ball to Morgan Gibbs-White. I mean, it's such a basic decision. And it's so selfish to actually do what you did in the circumstances. Because an entire city is relying on you to make good decisions at the right time. It's why you get paid tens of thousands of pounds a week. To do the right thing when it matters. There's a time to be a maverick. There's a time to try and do something that's genius. There's also a time just to slide the ball across the box, get a 2-0 lead, win the match, get yourself in the changing room and go home. And that has to be a lesson to everybody, not just him. When they sit down and review it, make the right decision at the right time. The talent is there. The shape was there. Everything you needed was there. But you can't make bad decisions in critical situations, and that's what they did. If they make a good decision at that moment, they win the game. Mm. And time's running out. They can't continue to make bad decisions when it really matters. And I think when you look back over the course of the season, there's been a lot of individual mistakes or decisions that have been taken that have cost Forest points, and we can't keep doing it. And go back to that. Roll it square. Gibbs-White scores. 2-0. Home and drive. You probably win 3-0, might win 4-0. But you certainly win the game. And they've got to start making the right decision when it really matters. And if they do that, I'd be really confident they'll stay up. And that, to me, it, it's 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 wound well me up all weekend because it's such a such a simple thing to do in the circumstances. It's harder to do what he tried to do. And it's bothered me, bothered me a lot.
0: I think, Temps, there was probably four or five occasions in that second half where Forrest broke away. And Dennis, I think, was in three of them. Attempts, uh, Fletch speaks about the most egregious one. There was uh, Taiwo as well had one. Danilo had a couple of chances. We're just not, uh, as Fletch says, we're not uh, just not deadly enough in front of goal. That game should have been put to bed. We'll debate the substitution because I know people are pinning it on that. But I, I think you take your chances and the substitutions is irrelevant.
2: Yeah, I agree with that point. I don't think the substitutions are the reason that we that we conceded. Um, and, and that is the difference. We've, we spoke about the level, didn't we? We spoke about it in a uh, before the season uh, in terms of having to adapt. And we speak about it a lot now, having reflected on watching our team go up against other Premier League teams. And we weren't clinical enough. Emmanuel Dennis is a game-breaker. And he's in the team because he's been doing bits with the ball. He's been getting into positive positions. Um, he's certainly a fella you'd want on the ball in the final third, but that was a terrible decision. And at, at two there there is there is no way back for for Wolves at that point. So that will be one of the of several points across the season that we debate. And you'd like to think if similar circumstances presented themselves uh, again, he'd do a, he'd do a different thing. We've been spoiled a bit by Brennan though, because Brennan is scoring goals, but he's an unselfish player. And there's other notable examples this season where he has squared the ball where. A striker might have might have gone for goal. And another another striker might have gone for goal. So I think there's a a lot that Emmanuel Dennis can learn from Brennan Johnson in terms of mindset, because he, he possesses all of the skills to be an effective goal scorer and goal maker in the Premier League, as evidenced by his season at Watford. He's still he, he's still in my team at this moment in time, but he's got to learn from that one real real bad mistake.
0: What about you, Mike? He's still being my team as well, unless Tywo's is fit to start. If Tyro fit to start, then I'd bring him in, in a left sided role. But and Dennis, he's, I feel like he's made progress since the World Cup, but I don't know. He's just such a frustrating player. Are we, are we being overly harsh on him or
3: not? Do you offer any defence? Uh, yeah, good question. So. I guess before I answer that, I usually, when I've been to the game, I usually watch it back on the Saturday night, be that match of the day or extended highlights or whatever. I couldn't watch it on Saturday. I was too annoyed for the reasons the guys are talking about. So I did manage to watch it yesterday and I still haven't changed my opinion. I, I personally wouldn't wouldn't start Dennis. I think if, if if Tyo is available to do 50, 60 minutes, I think I'd start with him and then maybe bring, bring Dennis on because I think it's been said Numerous times, you know, on this podcast and by every person I talk to, and you know, pre and post match, he plays in flashes, doesn't he, Dennis? Like, you don't really see him for a few minutes, and then, then he'll turn up and do something, um, either brilliant or incredibly frustrating. And and I just don't think with two away games coming up, um, that we can maybe afford that. You know, the way Leeds play, they, they're quite progressive, the fullbacks get forward. I think I'd, I'd probably rather play someone there that's a little bit more. Um, reliable, should I say, and that's not to slate Dennis, because I know I've personally been accused of having a bit of a thing for Dennis, and, and it's not, it's just what I see when I go to the games, and I just think he, he, he might be one that's better coming on for 10, 20, 30 minutes trying to make an impact, and that point that the guys were talking about before about squaring the ball has wound me up as well, if I'm being honest, so that's kind of where I'm at. In terms of changes for Leeds, I know we'll talk about that in a bit, he is one that I would make, and it does sound harsh, and I appreciate that but it's for those reasons. So I think if Tywo can do 50, 60 minutes, that's the change I'd be looking to make. Mm
0: -hmm. Bred in the difference maker though, Fletch. Again, if if Foy's going to stay up, it feels like he's going to be the man behind it. I I certainly think he meant that finish. There's no other way he was aiming for anywhere else, was he?
1: No, of course he wasn't. He's he's, he's developed over the course of the season into a a damn good Premier League striker, Um, plain and simple. There's not really any need to say anything else. He's one of ours. He's gone into the team and over the course of the season, he's learned the intricacies of the Premier League. He's a he's a much better player now than he was when he started the season because of that learning process. He makes good decisions and not bad ones. And when the chance is there, he's got a fair opportunity to take it. He's the best finisher at the club. And, and I personally, I'm proud of him. I know his dad, personally, and, and I've known David from the, the day he arrived at Forest on Ipswich. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of him. Um, I'm proud that he plays for, for my club. And I think he's going to be the one at the end of the season, regardless of what division Forests are in, where the bids are going to come in. Because who wouldn't want a player like that who's shown the ability to improve um, as much as he has over the course of the season? And I think Forests are going to have a battle to keep him at the end of the campaign, and that's down to him. So I think he's been tremendous. I think it's, a, uh, you know, it's one in the eye for the critics. Earlier in the season, they was saying he wasn't good enough for the Premier League. And I said all along that they were completely bonkers to say it. It's unfair. He's a young lad. He's tremendous. And I'm, I'm delighted that we're seeing him play like we're seeing him play. And if Forrest stay up this season, he's as important as anybody in that team. And and more power to him. Keep it, keep it going. And by the way, he's an absolutely smashing lad who loves this club to bits. Works hard, model professional, and he
0: deserves everything that he's getting at the minute because he's he's a tremendous young man. Um, just going into the comments quickly, two things I want to pick up on. Uh, someone says I found a different hoodie. No, I haven't. I've had this for years. It's just one of the one of the the group. Uh, Lee Millwood, who I used to work with uh, at the Burton Mail, who's a good lad, makes a good point about Dennis I raised. Um He's got to be so easy to defend against because. He cuts back every single time. Uh, I don't know if that's a confidence thing or not, but there was an incident on Saturday where he was away from Craig Dawson. And if he'd gone on his left foot, he'd got a shot away or probably squared it or whatever. It sounds like we're digging Dennis out, but I just wanted to raise that point that he is predictable. You know what he's going to do every single time, I think. So, you know, I don't know. You've got to be um, on... I I, I suppose it's Mare's the player, Fletch. You added that string to his bow at Man City that you can go both ways. If, If Emmanuel Dennis
1: was within 50 miles of Riyad Mahrez we wouldn't be having this conversation
0: no I mean, but and you're trying to think oh, of a player who isn't predictable because Mahrez at Leicester he'd always go on his left foot but now you know he's going he can go he can trick a fullback.
1: back Mahrez is 20 goals a season Mahrez is on the planet He's a 50 60 million pound footballer than when he left Leicester it was worth even more now look it's inexcusable it's a professional player He's played in the Champions League he knows he's got to square it at that point but he chooses not to this is not this is not some fundamental weakness he knows He knows what he has to do and he didn't do it. It's inexcusable. There is no, if you play in a forward position for Forrest, you've either got to be scoring goals or creating goals. And my challenge will be how many has he scored? How many has he made? That's how you judge him over the course of the season. How many do you score? How many do you make? Because whether he runs back with a fullback or not, that's a bonus. It's like having a fullback who gets a few assists. First and foremost, they've got to defend certain things that players have got to do. Is he making goals and is he scoring goals? And if the answer is no, then you've probably got to look elsewhere. And that applies to everybody across the front line. It's not just him. But that situation on Saturday and the circumstances for a star, you cannot accept. And you imagine what the players felt like when they get in. Felipe has won everything. He's been magnificent. And he's walked off with a draw. And he's done everything to win the game. There are big performances on that pitch on Saturday. The crowd are magnificent again. And you get moments just moments in a game where you're screaming for someone to do the right thing. And when they don't, whether that's in your own box or in their box, it costs you. And you might look back on that moment at the end of the season as being really costly. I hope not, but that is one of the more inexplainable decisions that I've seen this season. And if it was Brennan Johnson doing the thing on the other side, I'd be saying the same thing. Because if Emmanuel Dennis is the reason why Forest stay up at the end of the season, I will be delighted. And by the way, as you said earlier, he's got the ability to go on a streak and score goals like that that can be important, hence why Steve's probably got him in the team. But in that isolated moment, whoever that person was, Gibbs, White, Johnson, whoever, of those forward players, if they would have done the same thing, I would have been saying the same thing. This is not a knock on Emmanuel Dennis, but you need those forwards at this stage of the season to either score goals or make goals. And if they're not doing it, time's running out. You've maybe got to look elsewhere and find the people that are going to do it.
0: Yeah, well, he scored a great goal against Newcastle. He but did. That was an instinctive instinctive moment where he didn't really just do it in the moment. He's obviously got a lot of talent. but By the way, he... that's the situation that suits him, Matt, because when he scored against Newcastle, he was the only one up there. So you're saying, well, you've got to do something
1: yourself because you've got oh. no help. But you don't have to do that every time now because you've got that one. Don't think it's going to happen every time. There are basic things you need to do in certain situations. And on Saturday, he didn't do it.
0: Um, Two incidents around Brennan that we should touch on as well while we're here. Uh, Book for diving temps. I thought that was harsh. I'm not sure it was a penalty, but I don't think he he was diving.
2: Well, if you watch the super slow-mo, not only was he fouled twice outside of the box, he then made the mistake of kicking his own heel and the Mm. defender had his hand on his hip. So he's done what you should do in that situation. He's felt contact and gone down, but he's been off balance and fell. So... Even if it's uh, not a penalty, and that was a marginal call, it's not a dive for me. He doesn't deserve the yellow card. And he was almost too honest earlier on in the move when he he could have gone down and, and won the free kick. Fantastic bit of skill. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say he lost his balance, clicked his own heel. There is contact from the defender. Balance of probability, probably not a penalty. I don't think I would have awarded it having seen the replays. But Brennan Johnson is faultless for me in that moment. Um, extremely creative, uh, got himself into a really good position, turned that defender inside out, and was very unfortunate to get a yellow card. I think it was wholly undeserved.
0: Yeah, I agree. Another hazard of VAR that is probably you know not.
2: What, Do normal. you know what, though? This is the inconsistency of that process. So I was
1: at Manchester City against Liverpool on Saturday lunchtime. I mean, Gakpo died, clear dive, awful dive, cheated, trying to get a penalty. One of those where he's gone forward, and while he's in the air, he's trying to stick his leg between the other fella's legs to try and get the yeah back. Now, Simon Hooper was the referee and he'd taken the decision that game and he wasn't going to show yellow cards because of the nature of that rivalry. And he refereed the game really well. He let it flow. It was, a, it was a really good match because of it. And he chose not to book Gapo And I think this is where the inconsistency comes. And it's, it's, a, it's the conundrum for the player. Because a player's always told, be honest, stay on your feet. But if they don't go to ground, they don't get the penalty. So exactly. what do you do? You know, the referee shouldn't have shown the yellow. He should have probably brought it back and given the free kick outside the box for the initial challenge. He's got to back the player. The player there is trying to be honest and battle his way through having been fouled. When he does then go to ground because he's run out of room, he's probably got to be bright enough to bring it back and give the free kick for the initial foul, which you've got jurisdiction to do. So I think the referee let him down there, um, and I think he could have refereed that situation much better. And again, it's just it's the reason why the next time Brennan Johnson gets fouled like that or anybody else, they'll just fall over and get the free kicks. So the, the sports, the sports governors are telling us they want players to be honest and stay on the feet and let the referee do the job. But if the referee's not going to do it properly, you've got to go on the floor and that winds everybody up. So inconsistent, poor referee and shouldn't have got a yellow card, should have been brought back for a free kick outside the box. Um, bad
0: one for Chris at that. Um, Mikey, I'll come to you about the other incident, Pedence spitting or not not having enough gob in his mouth to spit it. Ben and Johnson have we, we saw it. VAR said they couldn't see evidence of actual spit. I think Alan Shearer said we well, can't send him off then. What do you think? I mean, he did try he tried to spit at him, didn't he?
3: Yeah, he did. That that's for me, that's just disgusting, if I'm honest with you. So I am. Um... When it said on in in the crowd that they're checking VAR, I thought maybe a punch had been thrown or something else had happened. Um, it, it wasn't till after the game, looking at some of the replays, that you saw what they were actually checking. And for me, there's just no excuse for that. That is just vile, disgusting. Somebody spat at me once <clears throat> playing. I think it was in a school game, and it it, it rankles with me for years. It's just gra- I'd rather be on the end of a bad challenge. Or, you know, somebody pulling my shirt when I'm through on goal or even a punch. But something like that is just absolutely vile. If, if your kid does it, then you're just you, you just completely having a go at him. A professional footballer who's played, you know, Champions League football, played all over the world, spitting at a young 21-year-old in the last minute of a play, it's, it's, it's just gross. And and I think something like that, I'll tell you what annoyed me as well, is when they interviewed the Wolves manager after the game, he... Um, he did the Arsene awesome Wenger, didn't see it, don't even know what you're talking about. And maybe that's true, Maybe I should give him the benefit of the doubt. But that, that annoyed me as well. You'd like to think that even behind closed doors, a conversation has been had to say that is totally and utterly unacceptable. And if one of Forest players did it, I'd say exactly the same thing. So hmm. are we now at the stage where we're looking for evidence of spit flying through the air You could see his his mouth and you could see Brennan do this with his face. Not very good for people that are listening, but, you know, try and almost wipe his face. Everybody reacted around it. You saw Gibbs White's reaction. You saw all the players' reactions. Um, I thought Brennan was really magnanimous in his interview afterwards. Highly professional, complete other end of the spectrum from Pudence, if I'm honest with you. It just it topped off a a really irritating (laughs) game for me where we should have won. And then you've got the opposition doing things like that. And they were chucking themselves to the floor. I will say that as well. Somebody's mentioned it in the comments. So four or five times, we talk about diving, they were chucking themselves to the floor three or four times at least. So it just really irritates me. There seems to be a bit of niggle, doesn't there, between Wolves and Forest in recent matches. I don't know whether that's because of the Gibbs-White transfer, whether it's because of the relationship of, of the people that own the clubs. You know, we, we can speculate, but, there seems to be every time we play those guys, there's incidents that go off that really put a downer on it. Didn't, wasn't there big fines after the cup game? Um, yeah,
0: 40,000, for 45,000. Something's not right there. The
3: but spit, yeah, spitting's just... To- I don't know what you guys think about it, but that just really rankled. It's gross. You wouldn't, you wouldn't like to see that on the park. It's just disgusting. Bit,
0: I won't ask you, Fletch, because you probably have to deal with Wolves, but tamps well, they look in a bit that, of an ill... I, you, you're more than welcome to ask and, and I, well they're all really disciplined aren't they I think when it starts from the top for me well,
1: I, I don't know I don't know what they get told I don't know how that works I don't know why there's the, the antagonism between the two benches and the two sets of clubs I genuinely don't know but if any player of any club spits on another one then they should throw the book at the individual um, I think it's worse than if you walked across on the pitch and, and punched the kid between the eyes I think it's wor- I think it's disgraceful I think it's disgusting And I think that you don't need, you shouldn't need the Premier League retrospectively to take a view. I think if you're Wolverhampton Wanderers and you look at that and you've got an obligation to do that, If that's the way that your player has handled himself in front of a crowd of people and done something like that. I think then the emphasis should be on you to self-police and they should turn around to Daniel Podence and say, you don't represent this club in that way and they should do something about it. I know it's a fanciful suggestion and it won't happen. But that's what should happen because there's a moral code as well as anything else in life of things you do and don't do. And that's one of the things that you just don't do. It's disgusting, um, disgraceful. If if they look at it and they decide that he did do it on purpose and we have to leave it to the authorities, we can all have our opinion, then I would hope they give him a ban that's lengthier than the three-game ban for violent conduct because I think it's worse than that. So. I hope they do something about it. I hate to see it. Um, it's it's one of the most disgusting things you can do on a football pitch.
0: Um, one other thing I want to talk about in the game before we get on to positives, which I thought there were quite a lot, the Worrell sub, um, a lot of people are blaming Cooper for it. I mean, I've thought about it, and, and I have to say I think it, it was a tactically sound move, personally. At that point, Wolves had Costa, Pedence, Sarabia, Cunha, Nunes on the pitch. Uh, people are saying we were completely in control of the game. I don't think we were. I thought it was like a Wild West shootout and we were just trying to hit them on the break all the time. And I actually thought I was more comfortable when Worrell came on. And again, we had enough chances to score again. So I can see why people would say Cooper cost us the points, but I don't agree with that personally. What attempts are you disagreeing
2: with me or not? No, I agree with you. That substitution was not the reason um, that we lost. Uh, it's a hindsight call, isn't it? There's a lot of people across the weekend and this, and this morning are criticising Steve Cooper based on nothing more than hindsight. We didn't think it was a bad call at the time. We could see the logic of it and Joe played pretty well when he came on. I wouldn't have made that decision. I think I was calling out for Koyate at the time. I think he could have given us that intensity and aggression and physicality to, to see the game out from that point. And I wouldn't necessarily have changed the shape in the manner that we did. However, it's a hindsight call. And I mentioned earlier that I've, I've now flipped my perspective on whether or not John Joe Shelby should be in this team because of a team selection that Steve Cooper's made for this game that me and several others like me uh, in the pub before the match couldn't see the, the logic of. And that's, that's the decisions these guys make. They have to make marginal calls between individual players that bring different pros and cons to the balance of a, of a football team. We were all surprised to see Danilo play. He played very, very well. We were probably pleasantly surprised to see Mangala play, who, who may be seen as one of our most rounded midfielders. He did very, very well. The front three kept their place. He brought Toffolo in off the week, left back with Lottie having had a, a kid in the week. So we're not privy to what goes on behind closed doors. I trust decisions the decisions that are being made. I don't think that substitution was a turning point in the game. And we should all rise a little bit above making, throwing hindsight criticism, for what was a very sound decision in that moment.
1: Fellas, score the second goal and the whole thing's irrelevant. Yeah, just, just take your chances, score the second goal, and we're not breaking down, switching to a back three to try and match up in terms of numbers. Just Just take your chances. They had enough chances. Get the second goal. It's a moot point.
0: Mm, I agree. Uh, I agree. Uh, uh, well, that's
1: not down to Steve. That's down to the people on the pitch. So that's he's yeah. he's created a team, a shape, numbers, a pattern that generated way more opportunities to only score one goal. He's not out there fundamentally trying to put the ball in the back of the net. That's down to the players. So they've let him down by not scoring more goals to make that decision later irrelevant. So. He's then scrabbling about thinking, right, I've got to try and do something here to get us over the line. He shouldn't have been in that position. The players should have taken that decision away from him by being more ruthless in that situation. Um, And I'm afraid there are too many in the team that shirk the responsibility around the penalty area. You tell me how many shots Forrest have in a match. And that's been the case all season. Shots. You've got to take responsibility when you're around the box. And players on Saturday had opportunities during the course of that match to score more than one goal. At that mm. stage, whatever he does with a back three is irrelevant because you're out of sight. And that should have been the situation at the weekend. That's not on the manager by any stretch.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought the midfield had a much better balance. I know we I pitched on Friday to take Shelby out. I thought they did well. I thought Gibbs-White was excellent. If we could play Wolves every week, that would be nice because he's obviously well up for that. He's loved that. He had his best performance for weeks. I'm not sure whether it's Shelby not being there or not. At the back four, Mikey as well. Aurier out. Uh, Loddy, as Temp said, not considered for selection. I thought they did really well, actually. I thought Williams had had a solid game. Toffler had a solid game. and A good defensive pairing with Felipe and Nekate, you think?
3: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I thought thought he played really well. Felipe was magnificent. In fact, every mm-hmm. time I've seen him since he's come into the team, he he looks a-classable. If you can tell he's played at a high level, you know, what he maybe lacks in a bit of pace, he makes for in position and, and strength and aggression. Um, his distribution on the ball was really good as well. Um, I like the way he sort of steps into midfield. You know, and we may have stumbled on a a new centre-back period, and I thought Nierkate was much better. Understandably, Mm -hmm. against Newcastle, he looked a little bit rusty. Um, He's been away for the international break. I'm not sure how many minutes he played for his country, but he looked a bit stronger, a bit quicker. Uh, And like I I said, you know, I I never really felt in much trouble against Walsh. and the full-backs. Yeah, I have to say, um, both did okay. Uh, I could understand them bringing Loddy on because I think he is a a better footballer than than Toffolo, than so I'd expect maybe that change to be made for Leeds. But I think Nico Williams stepped into that right back position and did and did very well. I'm not sure about the um, uh, Aurier, whether he's back or not. But um, again, you know, f- for me, even you know praising the fullbacks, I probably would change both <laughs> if if I'm being honest. If both are uh, available to play the uh, the 90 minutes against Leeds, but again, like Fletch says, and I've got to agree, you know. Defence wasn't really an issue on Saturday, it's not taking your chances and if you don't take your chances in the Premier League, guess what? You get dumped at the other end, that's just what happens. By the way,
1: Mike, as well, if you look at that team, <clears throat> and fair play to Harry Toffler, when you get thrown into a Premier League match and you've got a Dharma Traore, I-, I feel for anybody in that circumstance, just because if he's on a going day, there aren't many full in the Premier League that can... That can live with him. I remember the performance Loddy had against him earlier in the season was the making of Lodi as a Forest player. He's kicked on from that point because he defended outstandingly against, against Traore. But if you look at that team, you can make a case that Forest's best team this season has six different players starting in it. When you think about Lodi and Aurier at the fullback positions, Yates and Kayate in central midfield, Awani out on one side, and even maybe Dean Henderson earlier in the season, there's six different players. And started at the weekend and they gave a performance like that. So there are so many positives because these players are going to be available for the run-in. You're going to get Yates back. You're going to get your fullbacks back. kayate's now back in the mix. Awani is back in the mix. It's a different scenario now when you go and play this, these teams with a full deck. And I think Steve's been hampered to a large extent by some key individuals not being available for the last few weeks and months in certain cases. And I think it gives him more scope on the training pitch to be creative. And I think you'll see you'll see more options. I think Forest have really struggled this season making impacts off the bench. And you see a lot of games in the Premier League now, decided in the last 15 to 20 minutes when managers make four or five substitutions in one go. And Steve's been a bit hampered because you've looked at the Forest bench and thought, well, he's not really got much on there, you know, because of the fact that they've had so many injuries. But now all of a sudden he's playing with a with a more stacked deck. So hopefully that can that can help us as it goes on towards the end of May and beyond.
0: Uh, a couple of people in the comments saying Forrest played defensive uh, low block is the term of the day, football in the second half. I don't think they did when Worrell came on. I think still the, the plan was counter-attacking. They got in plenty of time. So I wouldn't Let's be real here.
1: You don't go for 90 minutes, just throw the kitchen sink at the opposition. At some point, you've got to try and alter the tactics to get over the line. I mean, the, the best teams in the world do it.
0: But they weren't playing all that defence. It wasn't like, let's camp out on our 18-yard line. That wasn't the plan. Look, you have to
1: make changes. And you, you, can't, you can't put everything into a vacuum. We've said this all season. You can't decide based on Saturday whether Forest are going to stay up or not. You can't decide on Saturday whether Steve's one decision towards the end of the game was, was, was the reason why it didn't work. Because the numerous decisions, as, as, as has been pointed out by the fellas, prior to picking the team, was the reason why they played so well in the first place. So it can't then become the manager's fault when it's probably the manager's decisions that's made the performance all round be what it was. We we tend to put everything in a vacuum and then work from there. And if you do that, you get a very, very small sample size of what the actual realistic situation is. So Mm -hmm. he's not going to get every decision right. He's not going to get every decision wrong. But the facts of the matter are they had enough chances during the course of 90 minutes to win that game by a distance. Mm. A distance. I mean, it's crazy. They should have won it by a mile. My mate texted me halfway through and he said, these are rubbish wolves. And they were. Forest made them look that way. Just go and win the game.
0: Um, last one on the game, Temps, so I'll throw it at you. We should touch on the wolves' goal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, 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 just go and take a breather, flesh. Just go have a little walk up and down the hall wait, a couple wait, of times. Wait, you know, wait, look, look. He's right. Look, you're right. 17 shots to eight, right? So it's extremely efficient performance. 28% possession, did a lot with the ball, didn't finish our dinner. The defending was fine. And I'll come to the goal. We haven't done much wrong. The ball has mm-hmm. broke from a block to Pedence, who was well positioned. But the ball was never intended for him. Sold the dummy, cut back inside. And I think Navas probably saves that if he doesn't get that slight def- deflection off Nico Williams, which, which loops it over him. So I don't hold any individual accountable for that goal. It wasn't a chance that Wolves um, created, particularly. It was a, a bit of individual class from a fella who was classless with his other acts in the game. But I'll credit him for that. He did well but fletch is right i can see why he's getting pumped because it's not very often that we outshoot a team at home by 17 to 8 seven shots on target to their one which was the goal obviously that was a that was a uh, a tactical lesson in how to be efficient with the ball yes it was frustrating for the periods that we didn't have it but they were just playing passes between Craig Dawson and his mate at centre half they were they were causing no damage whatsoever and we were happy to lure them on and, and spring them on the break knowing that we had gas around the park that could cause them damage. It did. We didn't take the chance. Mm,
0: I agree on the goal. I've watched it back. Uh, Normally, you try and pin a blame on someone. I don't think Nico Williams did anything particularly wrong there. It's just one of those things. The guy got the shot away, an unlucky deflection. If the ball's passed to him, then, you know, it's a different story, but it's just a a break. And I thought Forrester were unfortunate in that sense, but obviously with the whole massive caveat, they missed about 10 chances to put the game to bed before that. Um, Let's move on from the game. Obviously, reports going into it from the Telegraph that Cooper was under pressure if they didn't get a result very soon. We have seen Brendan Rodgers has gone, Graham Potter has gone to take it to 12 managers out of work. Um, Mikey, how are you feeling about Cooper's situation? Does it feel like he, he needs a win soon, obviously? That's not staying too much, is it?
3: Yeah, I'm mean, trying to choose my words carefully. I think one of, the, one of the reasons I was annoyed coming out of Saturday is because I know our big that game was, or I believe to know how big that game was. So I think it's we're in a stage now where it's the proper business end of the season. There's less than ten games to go. um Some of them are winna- winnable. Some of them look really, really tricky on paper. And the ones you're targeting, like your Wolves at home, your Everton at home, we're just not managing to get over the line. So the the pressure seems to be ramping up on on Cooper. And, you, and you've seen, as you rightly pointed out, Matt, just in the last twenty four hours. <laughs> I mean, who's who's got the um, who's still got the same manager in the bottom half? Is it just us and West Ham? I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it's just, it's absolutely crazy. I did see one stat, and then I'll give you give you my view, and I've wrote it down because I don't want to get it wrong. And I think it was from an article in the in the Athletic. So since the since the um, start of the Premier League, is this? When was that? Ninety two. There's oh. been thirty nine, so three nine managerial changes since March. So the March of each year. And only seven of them have led to a higher finishing position than when they made the change. So if that makes sense to people, so less than eight, well, less than 20%. So one in five, if you change your manager now, you get a higher league position. So there's no guarantee that if we did decide to go down that route and Cooper left, history tells you that only one in five since the Premier League started, you finish with a higher position. So here's my view on it. And then I'll quickly hand over to the lads. Where did we expect to be as a fan base at this point in time? So yeah. we always knew it was going to be tough. We haven't been in the bottom three for God knows how long. You know, Cooper's had to manage 30, 40 players, change his system two or three times. You know, we've got one of the best home record, probably the best home record in the bottom half of the Premier League. I think we've lost once there since September in the league. Our waveform's absolute rubbish, which worries me. But this is where we expect it to be, right? So I guess the question is... Do we think we can get over the line with Cooper? And if not, who's better out there? Slightly changing the last 24 hours. But who's better out there that we could probably bring in and have that different voice and change it? Now, me personally, I would stick with Cooper regardless because I think, I think everybody, what I saw on Saturday, everybody's playing for him. The crowd is still behind him. We're really unlucky. And if we have that level of performance, I think we'll be all right. But there's no doubt that the... There's no doubt that the pressure's on. Of course it is. Because like I said, you know, there's only us in West Ham in that bottom half that still have the same manager. So am I worried about Tuesday? Yeah. yeah. I'm, absolutely, I'm absolutely terrified that if we lose, that I'll go to bed and wake up on Wednesday morning and we'll be in a situation where we've got caretaker managers for the Villa game. I really don't want that to happen. And I've seen some of the comments on here around, it seems to be a bit more of a split now. I think the last time I was on, it was very pro-Cooper seems to be a little bit of a split now, but me personally, you know, the players are playing for him. You you can see that. And we just need to be more ruthless and get over that line. We need three wins guys, three wins in what? Nine, 10 games. That's all we need. And like Fletch said at the start, and I will shut up, like Fletch says, we just need to match the output of those five or six teams, which we are more than capable of doing. So that's where I am. I would stick with Cooper regardless. Don't know about you guys.
0: Well, Temps wanted to make a point. I think you might have had a stat. I hope it wasn't the one Mikey produced and he stole in your thunder. What were you going to say, Temps?
2: No, I just want to talk through the the four scenarios regarding the managerial position for this point. (coughs) The one for me that's most unlikely to happen is that Cooper stays and we go down. Not because I don't want Cooper to stay. This owner with this level of investment will not sanction keeping a manager that takes us down. So I don't think that will happen. The scenario that I want, Cooper remains and we stay up. That's what everybody wants. That starts tomorrow night and we'll get into that in a second. However, there are two other options open to Maranakis. changes the manager and we still go down. That will cause a lot of consternation, instability at the club. Change the manager and we stay up and Steve Cooper will be soon forgotten. And that's the sad truth of professional football. Whatever we say to our mates in the boozer, whatever we say about You know, I'm not getting a season ticket if he's still here. I'm not getting a season ticket if he is still here. I've heard it all. I've heard both extremes of the argument. If they make the change and the next manager gets the results required to keep us up, this entire fan base will be behind him. That's not what I want to happen. But Maranakis is a very active owner. He was present at the game on Saturday. He won't think twice about pulling the trigger if he thinks it's the right thing to do. And I hope that Steve Cooper's results save his job because I think he's done more for this football club than almost, almost anybody else in existence.
0: Fletch, what's your take?
2: Okay, so 23 managers
1: since Brian Clough retired in 93, plus a few caretakers thrown in as well. Every time a managerial change was made during that run, the person that made the change thought there was someone better who could come in and make a difference. And it didn't happen. I'm not misty-eyed about what happened last season. And what I would say about Evangelos Maranakis is that I think 12 managers have been sacked this season. And I think if you would have done a straw poll at the start of the campaign, the owner of Nottingham Forest would have been the one that people who don't understand the situation would have said would be most likely to make a managerial sacking based on what he's done in the past at Olympiakos. So let's just get, get it right. that As an owner... He's been bright enough to give Steve an opportunity to be successful. And when Forrest were in the mire earlier in the season and conventional wisdom for a lot of owners would have been, I need to make a managerial change. He didn't. Forrest went on the best run of the season. So whatever decision he makes from this point, let's look at it through clear eyes. Let's not dive back in the vacuum and say, here he goes, sacking blah, 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 because he's not done that. He's given the manager players, financial support and time over the course of the season. And if he chooses to make a managerial change at this point, based on what he's done for the club in terms of bringing players in to try and give, in his opinion, Forrest the best chance to survive, that is his prerogative. Okay, It's his money, it's his club, he's put his money where his mouth is, it's his prerogative. And if he does that, that's up to him. My own personal view would be that I would like to think, as Temp said, the scenario develops where they get a couple of wins, they stay up. Steve gets till the end of the season. And then maybe they sit down and have a look at what direction you want the club to go in. My concern is sometimes you can make a move and you think it's going to be right, and it's not. You know, all of these teams that I mentioned at the start, Leicester, Everton, Southampton, Leeds, and Bournemouth, five clubs that Forest have only got to equal the rest of the way. All of them have made a managerial change, and probably three of them are going to get relegated. So it doesn't always work either. So I'm I like Steve. Um, I think the job he's done, as Temp says, has been wonderful. But this is is down to the owner. It's how he sees the club. And, And he has to be allowed to do what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. And if he does make a managerial change, he's making it from a considered perspective. He's not making it after six games and then another one after 24 games. He's given a massive period of the season with these players to let the current people do what they do. As a supporter, though... I would be very much in the camp that I'm pulling for Steve. I want him to do well. I want him to keep Forrest in the Premier League. And I'd like to think that he can continue to grow on his managerial journey with the club over the course of the summer. So that would be my my personal wish. But I wouldn't be one on here hammering the owner if he made a change. Because I think when you've done what he's done and provided the finance that he's provided and he's taken us to 28 games in a league season. And I don't think he's been that visible either when you think about it. It's not as if he's calling the shots every two minutes and he's he's being quoted in in, in Matt's paper, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He stepped back and allowed it to happen. And he's gone again in January. If he decided to do it, I wouldn't criticise him. I might have a personal view on what I'd like to see happen as a fan. But I think he's done everything as an owner to try and make this season as successful as possible. And then it becomes his prerogative and he's going to follow the fans thoughts to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, this is not a popularity contest Contest for him. This is a business and he's been around football a long time in Greece with Olympiakos at Champions League level. He's winning league titles and sometimes he has a manager for a longer period of time and sometimes In Corbaran's case this season, they don't last five minutes. So he's he's worked at both ends of the spectrum. So it's on him. It is purely on him. And and nobody knows what he's going to do. But it's on him. And and, and I find it very difficult as a fan when you've made the financial commitment that he has to turn around and go, well, you're bonkers. You shouldn't have done that. You're stupid. You don't know what you're doing. I just think that's unfair. And I think Mm -hmm. the emphasis is on Steve to knuckle down, get more out of the squad, make sure they take the chances. And I don't think we're having this conversation today if if if, if, if they win on Saturday, because she's saying, right, okay, we're off and rolling again, looking forward to Leeds, on we go. And again, I'll say it to you, Saturday was down to the players. So they've got to look at themselves now we're having this conversation again today because they should have won that match. So that's where I stand. I would like, from a personal standpoint, Steve, to see out the season, keep Forrest up and go from there. But I wouldn't be one on here hammering the Nottingham Forest owner if he decided to make a change because of the massive commitment he's made to the club up to this point.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I, yeah, I'd echo what everyone said. I'd love Cooper to stay and, and keep Forest up. And then he'll have learned so much from this season if he does keep Forest up and he's still here next season. But like Temp said, Evangelos Maranakis is not gonna go into the last game of the season thinking we might go down with Steve Cooper in charge. He's gonna roll the dice. I suppose my, my
1: right, items would... and then the other thing is as well, you would say that there aren't many owners who would allow that to happen. That's not just a Maranakis thing. There aren't many owners that wouldn't go, Well, look, we've at least got to try something else if they feel the writing's on the wall. But what we don't know is internally what he thinks about the strengths and weaknesses of Steve. If he completely, and we also don't know, and this is a massive caveat, by the way. We don't know what the club's mindset is with regard to staying up. If staying up is the absolute be all and end all, they have to do it. That makes it more likely that at some stage you would look to make a change. But if they look at it and say, look, we don't mind, we want to stay up, but we don't mind having to go down and come back again and get a little bit stronger doing that then that would maybe change the mindset with regards to what decision they would make. And only they know how they feel about that. We don't know that. We're not privy to those conversations, are we?
0: No. I suppose the worry is, for me, that you sack Cooper and you make the wrong choice. And we don't know what the wrong choice is, but you get someone in, we go down, that person doesn't want to stay, we're back to reset where we were, and you lose our, our top players, and we become like Stoke City are now, just another championship club. But we just don't know what's there, how it's going to pan out. You know, I mean, Graham Potter's a great manager. If he walked through the door to Steve Cooper, then I think, like Temp said, we're all realistic to know that people would back him. If it's some no-mark who takes us down or, you know, you know we make a Nathan Jones appointment, then Maranakis is going to have the fans on his back. But like everyone said, personally, I really hope Cooper... Is beats Leeds, we kick on and we get that we we stay up because that performance level against Wolves will keep us up. I watched, um, actually I actually didn't watch. People talks about the quality of Southampton v West Ham being absolutely horrendous. Leicester look absolutely horrendous at the moment. Also, they change manager. You know, Forests have actually put in a performance at the weekend. I feel more optimistic because of the performance rather than yeah, the way we played in the previous matches. It gives me a lot more hope that if we play like that, we'll get the results when match, other teams are getting that, tongs. Go on, folks.
1: saying that about the level of performance between West Ham and Southampton. And the difference is one of those teams won that match. And at the minute, we're at the stage of the season where it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's what happens at the end of 90 minutes. You
0: can, you can play like a drain and win. But if Forest play like that consistently in the next nine matches, then they should, in theory, get the points they need. Say that, mate. But are
1: they going to take the chances still? They can play like that, and then when they get to the penalty area, if they're like that, you're not going to get wins. You've got to become more ruthless. Have to be ruthless. You know, West Ham might not have been great, but when the chances came, they took them. Simple. And by the way, Southampton didn't. Forest at the weekend, when their chances came, took one, but didn't take enough. And you,
0: put, you, you, all right, put a one year in our side, and I think we'll score the goals.
1: Well, okay, okay.
0: listen I hope you're right
1: but the evidence of the season is that there's only really Brennan Johnson who's going to do that so which of the team are going to step up and join him because he can't score all the goals maybe that's how who comes back in the team and scores a couple maybe Morgan Gibbs-White all of a sudden clicks and starts maybe Dennis I don't know but the question is who
0: does Morgan Need to do that that. how did did they get relegated playing like
1: that well the answer is because they don't score enough goals
0: there's a question people were commenting about Morgan. I didn't pick up on it, but he had a great game on Saturday. But I mean, temps, does he have, his numbers actually are, in terms of goals and assists aren't what you need? Does he need he to? Doesn't add shoot. That? He doesn't shoot. Well, he shoots from distance. He needs he to shoot, shoot. Better positions. The team temps. doesn't shoot.
2: He's in the team for me because he's, he's a creative force. He breaks the field. He has that amazing ability to, to turn with his first touch, which is a a rare thing in the Premier League. He has a great awareness. Yeah, look, his, his numbers um, are perhaps not quite where they should be. I think he's got five um, Premier League assists. It's not a it's not a fantastic return for a guy that's been guaranteed his place in the side. And arguably the shape is is kind of built around. But there, there are mitigating factors. He has been playing with some misfiring players. He has had a, a lot of change in that platform just behind him that gives him the, the freedom to play. So for me, there's no debate about Morgan Gibbs-White's place in the team. Tywo for Dennis is a, is a valid discussion. The blend of the midfield three is a valid discussion. And I think we all know there's going to be changes at fullback as, as soon as possible. But Morgan Gibbs-White's place in the team is under no threat. Do you
1: know, Temps makes a great point there that he's only got five Premier League assists. That That's because when you play the pass, someone has to put the ball in the net to get the assist. Yeah, quite. I like to look back on the games, the amount of times he's played a pass where you'd think, should have scored. You know, I think his assist numbers could look vastly different in a team that's more ruthless than this one.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I think if, you know, with the players we've got to come back with one-year, with, add Ryan Yates into that team, add Aurier, add Loddy from the start, I've got a, more optimism today than I had at two o'clock on Saturday, even though we didn't win the game. So I think that I feel more upbeat. Let's talk about Leeds quickly, Mikey, before we go. How are you feeling about the game? I said in the pub on Saturday, we're definitely going to beat Leeds. I'm not sure about that now, but how are you feeling about it? Uh,
3: Yeah, but I am positive. Um, I've got a cup that says Mr Grumpy, if anybody's noticed that. And I've tried not to be, I've tried to be a bit more uh, level than maybe I was Saturday after the game. But Leeds, I am. You know, I watched um, extended highlights of their game against Arsenal appreciate it's arsenal and they're, they're obviously very very good but leeds are a team that absolutely can be got at you know i always look at um personnel as well so i look at their team and i'm thinking which which players would i take who will get in forest team i know it's all it's all hypothetical but are they a team we can go there and win against absolutely of course we can the thing that worries me is obviously our away record being pretty much the worst in the uk so something's got to change then there but I think what you're saying around levels of performance, Matt, that is that is the, um, that is the catalyst to, to 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 get results. So if we play like we did on Saturday, there's no reason whatsoever that we can't go to Leeds and get something, whether that's a draw or three points. They're not great defensively. Um, their crowd's very good. I, I must say they will get behind them. So would I settle for a draw? Probably... But with Villa coming up and the games coming up, I think it's a game we should really try and target to win. I am positive about it. I would start Awanee. I would bring Yates back in. I would change the full That's no slight on the guys that played on Saturday. But like Fletch was saying, it does then give us a bit of a stronger bench options off the bench for that last 15, 20 minutes. I think there's also probably a role for Kayate as well. Um, he was only on for five minutes. But he made a hell of a difference when he came on. I mean, I mean temps were talking about it in the pub afterwards. He, He's such a presence in there. So, you know, the, the way Leeds play 100 miles an hour, I think he can be really useful to break up play. So I, I'd be looking to involve him slightly more uh, tomorrow as well. But it, it's a game that we should go in with confidence. They're in a very similar situation to us. You know, we beat them at home a few weeks ago. No reason why they can't go there and get a positive result. Definitely
0: hopefully so hopefully so right we've covered 55 minutes i don't know mikey's got on any other business he wants to raise that's forest related uh mikey what
3: was what did you want to say uh i don't i have a question for people that are listening so okay. if they if they can help so i know greg always talks about his bands and stuff like that nothing that from me i am um, i go running quite a lot and my shoes always break within about two <laughs> or three not weeks what I
0: expected it to be go
3: on not what you expect and honestly i've tried everything so if anybody is a runner or anybody can help me recommend some decent running shoes please can you tweet me or let me after that because i'm it's doing my i've tried everything i've had them for christmas presents i've tried spending loads of money <clears throat> i've had them fitted i've tried the cheap stuff nothing works so just just to play to all the people that watch this please help me out because i need i need to run it kind of chills me out a little bit I think the business. Yeah. Get a, bike. a bike. Yeah. That's
0: <laughs> <laughs> it
2: for
0: me then. Uh Tamps, anything you want to add?
2: Nothing to add. I just know the mood changes if we win tomorrow, and the debate around Cooper gets more intense if we don't. So I just hope we're on the right side of that, and I'm I'm backing this to do it. I think we've got enough choices now. It's not a bare 11. There are several options in the squad, several options from the bench. And there's no reason why we can't go to Ellen Road and win. That's what I'm hoping for. And I hope all the chat around um, the, the city ground and the club is, is far more positive come Wednesday morning because it absolutely has the potential um, to, to be yet another turning point in the season. I know there's you know a few more around the corner as well. I just think a victory would put a lot of these uh, more trivial debates to bed and give Cooper the time he needs to get even more out of this squad. That,
0: any requests for running shoes or anything else?
2: Oh, I, I, I don't think we've spent enough time on the match tomorrow
1: night, if I'm honest. I mean, I, I've got little interest in Mikey's running shoes. He can solve that problem himself. The thing <laughs> here is, is, is what it's going to look like the rest of the way. I, I, one thing I would say is we've got a decent record at Ellen Road. I remember back in 92, 93 when Cl- Cluffy's last season, even as bad as Forrest were, they managed to get four, I think it was, at Ellen Road that year. Neil Webb had his, his last outstanding game in a Forest shirt, if memory serves me correctly, that day. I think we've got relatively short memories about what it looked like at the City ground a few weeks ago. I think Forrest were lucky to win that day. They work hard. Nonto, Mikey talks about who's going to hurt you. Nonto can hurt anybody. I mean, Nonto's an outstanding player. I think this is a really difficult game because they've got desperation too. They're at home. They scored four goals at Wolves. This is a really difficult game. People are looking at Leeds, league position. They're a different side under Gracia. Yeah, they went and got pumped at Arsenal, but everybody's getting pumped at Arsenal. This is a really tough assignment. I think you can make a case that Villa away at the weekend is a more straightforward game than tomorrow. Because what are Villa playing for now? Mid-table, not going up, not going down, not getting into Europe. That's what they are. This is a desperate team, full house. Nonto's a game-breaker. They work so hard. The energy levels in the Leeds team is off the scale still. So Forrester have got to match that for a start. This is a really difficult game tomorrow night. I think this is a harder game than Saturday was. And I think it's potentially a harder game than Saturday to come, might be. And if they do win it, I think it'll be one of the best results of the season, bar none, because you've got that desperation, new manager bounce, an energetic team, and Forrest sometimes don't have the energy levels. I thought that was a big problem against Newcastle. Couldn't match them for energy, in midfield in particular. Lost the game. This is a team as well that's going to work you to death. They're going to run. I think this is a massive test for Forrest tomorrow. If they win it, outstanding result. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Because this is massive for Leeds. And by the way, we've got an asterisk next to certain games that we should win. And we're getting disappointed when it doesn't happen. They've got an asterisk next to Forrest, I'll tell you. Because they'll say, we went to the City ground and did really well. It should have got something. Navas was outstanding. Johnson took his goal well. But apart from that, if you look at the game itself, Leeds were the better side over 90 minutes. And this is a tough match. Tomorrow night, anybody kidding themselves that we're going to roll up on coaches tomorrow night, swan in, swagger in, get the three, get back. If they win tomorrow night, this is going to be one of the results of the season. I think it's a very, very difficult game for Forrest.
2: I think non and Ori are um, in a similar position and that if they do play, they'll be playing, having come back from a bit of a knock and maybe they got not... Legs things, quite legs they were. Over the pitch, mate. Yeah. Legs
1: over the pitch. You've got to match them. You can't sit there in your, in your box and think, oh, they're going to... They're going to run. They're going to get full-backs going on. They're going to oh, there's a lot happening. A lot of moving parts in that. And by the way, Gracia is not a bad manager. Got the sack mm. at Watford, but everybody's been sacked by Watford. He was doing well when he got sacked at Watford. I think if they can have the time back, yeah, they might keep him longer. It's a difficult game, really difficult game. And if yeah, they interesting, win, interesting to see really how
2: we deal with it. They do. They stretch the pitch. They make it very big. Yeah. Attacking fullbacks. Somerville can play as well, but I think that battle Nanto Orië was was so key last time around, and Orië had the had the best of it interested to see how we do set up to counter that because I don't I don't think we're going to be particularly compact because of the manner in which they, they do use the, the wide areas. But if we're playing um, Nico Williams at, at fullback, he is naturally far more attack-minded than Norrie is. So I'd repeat what we said before about him needing that brief to defend first. Um, but there are still a few question marks over team selection in centre mid as, as we set up to cope with a different threat. From from Leeds, but yeah, you're right. Fletch. It is a very very tough game, albeit one played between two sets of, of uh, two sets of players with, with intense pressure and scrutiny upon them, yeah. because the win for either team could be decisive in the makeup of the season.
1: I think Yates is essential. If Yates is fit, this is a Yates game, and I think if Kuyate is anywhere near, it's a Kuyate game because you've got to run with them. When you play Leeds, you've got to run with them. You can't just let them dominate you physically. And I think Forrest need the physical players out there to do that. It's OK Mangala sitting and keeping the ball nicely and Froyler sitting. And keep, but the game can be played around you in circumstances like that. So I think Forrest have got to match their energy levels for a st- certainly for the first 20 minutes until the game settles down and not let a goal in and get through that early phase, which they've been good at at times this season. Steve's been good at creating a situation where they get through that little period and then they start to build from there. So I think the tactics will be fascinating, but... I think it's a really hard game, and, and, and I'll say it once more. If they win it, I think it's one of the best results, bar none, that Forrest will, will have had this season. And and that then can be a real springboard for what, what's to come. Um,
0: just on these, I know we're past the hour mark here, but uh, I've Googled non-so like... Uh attempt said he's a fitness doubt so hopefully he doesn't start that'll make a big difference max wober who's a good defender is also a fitness doubt, and he could play left back and if it's not him then it'll probably be furpo left back who i fancy brennan johnson against and tyler adams central midfielder who i think is a really good player is out for them as well so i'm hoping Leeds, personally hoping Leeds, are missing three of their best players and if they are uh, it, it gives me more hope. And I think Fletch is spot on. I loved, I thought Danilo had a really good game on Saturday, but to me, I think this game we played at a million miles an hour. We saw against Leeds how he struggled at the city ground. I think it's a Yates or a Kriate game uh, and get in there, get about them and try and unsettle them and keep the crowd quiet. So as Fletch said, really tough game, but I, I do feel like we've got a, a chance if we perform and if we turn up and if we take one of our chances in front of goal. Right, uh, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks to everyone who's watched along. Loads of comments, loads of good debate. If you enjoyed it, do uh, like and subscribe. iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, whatever. Spread the word. All much appreciated. We'll be back uh, later in the week to discuss the Leeds game. Temps, thank you very much. Cheers, Jens. Good chat. Fletch, thank you.
1: Thanks for having me again.
3: Mikey, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Awesome debate. Loved it, as always.
0: Yeah, very good. Very good. Have a good uh, day, everyone. Enjoy the Leeds game if you can, and we shall see you soon.